Good morning, church. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 10 through 14 is where we'll find our focus today. Beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God at the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Then beginning in verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but of a porn of God. Thank you, Braden. That is uh, Braden Anderson. He's one of the young men here in this church. His parents are Chris and Stacy Anderson, and, and he's just read for us from John chapter 1, and we'll, we'll look more fully at part of that passage there in John 1, and in particular, verse 14. So if you want to just kind of keep your, your finger marked there uh, in John 1, we'll, we'll touch on what John has to say here in just a moment. Uh, Joe has already mentioned, we're, today we're, we're wrapping up this series that we've been focusing on for now the last uh, several weeks. Uh, we've been talking about some of the, the lies, some of the myths that are in our culture, and, and today, today I, I just want us to, to focus one final time before we, we kind of move on from this, this topic, I want us to focus on the person of Jesus. And in John's gospel in particular, we find this picture of Jesus who is presented John records this, this, this encounter, this, this teaching of Jesus that the other gospel writers don't. But in John 14, Jesus actually says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me, except through me. Jesus is the, the living embodiment of truth. And as we think about these myths that are a part of our culture today, what better message for us to finish up on than by thinking about who Jesus is. So thank you for being here. We'll, we'll share a little bit of time together in God's Word this morning and talk about, talk about the person of Jesus. I want to properly footnote this. This is from uh, an author by the name of Frank Viola. He wrote a blog post a few years ago that I actually read, and, and it stuck with me. I retraced my steps and found this post uh, this week. But he talks about the world's narrative, uh, the story that the world tells. And Viola says in this post that there, there are many lies in, in our world, but two in particular that, that our world is really eloquent and effective at, at broadcasting and, and saying to us. And those two lies are, are these. One, he says that if, if you love someone, see if, see if you've encountered this, okay? If you love someone, then that means that you have to accept everything that they practice and they believe. So you could kind of sum that up, you could summarize that view or that perspective with this little equation, that love equals acceptance, okay? That if you love someone, that means you have to accept everything that they think and believe and do. And then number two, it's closely connected. If you believe that a certain lifestyle, if you believe that a certain worldview, a certain perspective, if you, if you think that there's something that is immoral, that that implies that means that you 
that you hate the people or the groups of people who participate in that action or who, who hold that particular point of view. And so you could summarize that this way, that disapproval equals hatred. And that's really simplistic, right? But, but how often do you see that in our world? You know, you, you pick a topic, a, a political issue, a moral issue, you know, you, you pick some place to land and, and just think through how often these, these two myths, these two lies occur in our culture. These are the kinds of messages that are broadcast in HD in the world that we live in, right? Uh, and, and let's be honest, I think the younger that you are, the more susceptible you are to this way of thinking. The younger you are, I think the more susceptible you are to kind of falling into these ways of thinking that Viola describes. And one of the reasons for that, a lot of times, you know, we kind of look and see, in particular, Christians who, who are acting a certain way, and, and maybe their behavior, maybe their speech, maybe the things that they're a part of, maybe they come across a little hateful, or they come across a little bit judgmental. And so as a way of kind of safeguarding against being that kind of Christian and being viewed that way, it's easy to see how someone, especially a younger Christian, might adopt one or both of those points of view. So I can understand that, but, but the truth is, and we'll get to this and how this connects to Jesus in just a minute, but, but the, the reality is that these two messages are, are false. And Viola points something out that I think is really interesting that is lost on us sometimes. He says that if Jesus were still here, if he were in the flesh walking around among us present day, then he would be condemned for violating both of these cultural norms, these rules of engagement with our particular culture. Jesus didn't subscribe to these two points of view. And that helps us think through the fact that, you know, adopting the world's narrative, as Viola calls it, adopting the, the world's morality, the world's point of view, that, that doesn't bring us any closer to Jesus, right? No more than bigotry or hatred or some of those things that, that we want to push back from. No, that doesn't bring us any closer to who Jesus is. In fact, the New Testament calls us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to resist that temptation to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, he says that we are to seek the kind of transformation that comes about through the renewing of our minds, and then we'll know what God's will is. And that's really, if you just drill down to it, you want to know what, what is the, the point of this entire series, where we've been the last couple of weeks, it's that. So that we would know the will of God as it's revealed to us in the Word of God to help us navigate through this culture filled with deception and lies and half-truths. So the, the real question for us is this, what does it look like to follow Jesus in a world where love is equated with acceptance and where disapproval is confused for hatred? In fact, a better question might be, are we ready to follow Jesus into a world where love is confused for acceptance and disapproval is equated with hatred because Jesus himself doesn't subscribe to those points of view if you read through the gospels you read through what the new testament has to say about Jesus he doesn't equate love and acceptance he doesn't say that those two are the same thing any more than he says that disapproval and and hatred 
are the same thing. Jesus doesn't subscribe to the world's narrative. And so as his followers, neither should we. You see the example of of someone like the Apostle Paul here. That's what makes him one of my heroes. He says in Galatians 1 that his whole thing, his whole ministry, what he's trying to do, he says, I'm not trying to win the approval of man. And I think those words were hard-earned for a guy like Paul. He says, I'm not trying to win the approval of man. Instead, I'm trying to win the approval of God. In fact, he goes so far as to say, if I was trying to win the approval of man, I sure wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> right? He says it in Galatians 1.10, I sure wouldn't be a servant of Jesus Christ because of what it has cost me. And we see in Paul this example that to be a Christian is, is to subscribe to a different set of values. It's to, to march to the beat of a, of a different drum. It's It's to seek the truth of God over the approval of others. So back to what Braden read for us in John 1. The best way forward, the best way we can navigate through this is to look at the example of Jesus himself. And that's where we find these words that Braden read for us. Look back at John 1. I want to focus just on this one part of this passage. And it is in verse 14. All right. Look there again at John 1, 14. This is what the word says. The word capital W, of course, John's referring to Jesus, okay? So Jesus, the Word, the Logos, Jesus, the Word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John says. And he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, and then, and then there's this, which is more than just pretty talk, it's more than just sort of poetic kind of language. He says that Jesus came full of grace, and truth. I just want us to soak in that reality this morning. In the incarnation, when when Jesus comes to earth, we find an example of what it means to live faithfully in a culture that doesn't share our values. Jesus experiences a disruption of the eternal communion that he shared with the Father. They had never been separated. They had, had shared this rich communion for all eternity. But to some degree, Jesus separates himself from that. He puts on flesh, and he leaves the throne room of heaven to go on the greatest mission trip of all time, to come to earth to live and to die for our sins and rise again. We find here in, in Jesus, this one who is, is coming into a culture that is not his own. He comes bringing light, and John says that light was the life of men, and we celebrate that life. We celebrate that life even now today. But John also says this in what Braden read. He says that the darkness did not understand the light. In fact, he says that the, the darkness rejected that light. And so we find in Jesus the kind of reception that awaits us whenever we, in turn, seek to follow him and engage the dark corners of our culture. You remember what it says at his birth? They they come, you know, Joseph and Mary have been on the road, and, and they finally make it to Bethlehem. They come to the inn to find what sort of reception? No room. We don't have room for you. We don't have room for your baby. We don't have room for that child. And that little story is really a microcosm of the life of Jesus from start to finish. Because everywhere he goes, not only does he have no place to lay his head, but people just don't have any use for him. People don't know what to do with him. We don't have any room for you. 
Your, your teaching is a little too hard for us to accept. Your teaching kind of goes a little further than, than we're willing to go. The rich young ruler walks away disheartened. Why? Because he had great wealth. So many times people who turn away from Jesus, they couldn't understand what he meant by what we just celebrated around the table. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And one of the saddest passages in the New Testament, John records, says people walked away and left because they couldn't understand what he meant. They thought he was crazy. They thought he worshipped Satan. They thought this guy was nuts. That's the kind of reception that Jesus received. And unfortunately, the kind of reception that will await us at times when we seek to carry forward the name of Jesus in a world filled with lies. At the very end, all of this cost him his life. And the crowds shouted, crucify him! Reminded us of what Isaiah said would happen, right? That he would be a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. In spite of all this, John says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us and he has this perfect balance of grace and truth. And balancing those two things is a little, is a little tricky, you know, the balance of those two, you just think about one or the other. Most of us kind of tend to go in one direction or the other on this. Most people tend to kind of lean a little more, maybe, maybe for you it's like 51, 49, maybe you kind of lean more towards grace, or you might lean a little more toward truth. For, for some of us, it's like we're over here like 90% truth or 90% grace, and you know, we don't have much use for the other. But watch what happens when you get those sort of out of balance with when you have grace without any sort of truth associated with it, that's just rank-and-file permissiveness. It's compromising the truth for the sake of the relationship. You know, I don't want anybody to be mad. I don't want anybody to not like me. So, um, so yeah, I know the truth of what's going on here, but I'm just going to kind of ignore that and err on the side of grace. Right? Well, you know, to, grace without truth at all is permissiveness. And then on the other end of the spectrum truth without grace well that's just that's just legalism you know that's that's like saying i'm going to sacrifice relationship on the altar of right and wrong you broke the law so man, i'm going to nail you to the cross you know that extreme sort of attitude there truth without any kind of grace well that's just legalism but here's the beauty you find those two things perfectly embodied you don't have to choose with jesus they're both perfectly embodied in him because it says that he came full of grace and truth and you put those two things together in jesus in jesus you find good news it's good news that jesus is full of both truth and grace that's the good news we celebrate here today so let's just take a minute here before we we, we wrap up all right Let's talk about these two individually, grace and truth embodied in Jesus. Let's begin with truth. So back to those two myths that Viola discusses. He says Jesus would have been condemned in our culture because he did not accept everything that everyone practiced and believed. You look at the Gospels and you, you see this. And these are just a couple of examples, okay? In John chapter 8, there is a, a story that John tells of a woman who's been caught in adultery, actually... More than that, the Pharisees are back here kind of manipulating the circumstances and, and essentially they're using her as a pawn. They want to use her circumstances as a way of catching Jesus. So they have some basis for accusing him, John says. But they bring this woman caught in the act, okay? 
And they throw her before Jesus, and they say, Jesus, what, are we ought to, you know, what should we do? And, and Jesus basically does a little bit of, you know, like truth and grace, jujitsu, ninja moves. He says, okay, yeah, you're right. She deserves to die. But the person who casts the first stone has to be without sin. It says that the old guys in the crowd figure it out first, and then the young guys follow. They all realize, okay, he got us on that one. So they go off to the corner to twiddle their mustaches and try to find another way to catch Jesus, all right? When it's just Jesus and this woman, what he says to her, he says to her, he says the truth. He says, you know, where did everybody go? Are they here to, where are your, your accusers? And she's like, oh, they're gone. He says, well, I'm not going to accuse you anymore. And then before he like just turns around and leaves, he tells the truth to her. He calls sin by its name. He calls it sin, right? And so he says to this woman, he says, hey, look, go and sin no more. What you've been doing is wrong. So stop doing that. Because you were made for so much more. Uh, you see this in, in Simon Peter. <laughs> you know, Simon Peter's one of those, uh, you know, if he, he grew up in Alabama, we'd say about Simon Peter all the time, you know, bless his little heart, right? Because he tries and tries, but he keeps always like failing, sticking his foot in his mouth. He just does the wrong thing so often. And, Honestly, it's one of the things that uh, endears him to us <laughs> because we look at Simon Peter and we think, okay, there's hope for me <laughs> if, if there's hope for Simon Peter. So there's one of these times where Simon Peter says to Jesus, because Jesus has been preaching about how he, he has to die, and, and Simon Peter has this erroneous view. He has this false belief that Jesus doesn't have to do that. Jesus, Simon Peter's wrong about what he believes, and Jesus doesn't just accept it. He doesn't just say, you know, well, Simon Peter believes that, and well, too bad for him. He's wrong. No, he, he points it out. He says to him, it, by my count, like the harshest thing Jesus ever says in the Bible is, get behind me, Satan. And you've been called a lot of names probably, but have you ever been called that? I mean, you know, get behind me, Satan. He says, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And Jesus tells the truth to this good friend about his erroneous point of view. And then the Pharisees, they're not all wicked, evil. These people are doing the best they could to try to follow the Lord, but man, they just got some things out of, out of order. And Jesus, in Matthew 23, he calls them a brood of vipers. And on six, six different times there in Matthew 23, he calls them hypocrites. Tells them the truth. So, so the point of that overview is this. Don't lose sight of the of, of the forest here. The point is that throughout the Gospels, Jesus did not accept everything that everyone practiced and believed. And he does not accept everything that everyone practices and believes even today. But here's the thing, this, this doesn't mean that Jesus hates these people. Far from it. Nobody loves people more than Jesus. Whether we're talking about first century Pharisees, a good friend like Simon Peter, or, or you and me, Today, the world is wrong. That, that believing that something is, is wrong or immoral, that does not mean that you hate the people who hold such a view. As I said, uh, there, there's a lot of pressure on our, our youngest generations today to kind of subscribe to this view because if you don't, here are the things that will, that will happen. You know, if you, if you don't hold to the world's narrative, as Viola calls it, well, you'll, you'll probably lose some friends, your popularity will take a hit there's some people who will label you as a bigot some people 
Uh, you know, if, if you disapprove of anything at all, they'll accuse you of being judgmental. Uh, worst of all, if you don't adopt the world's narrative, you'll be labeled as intolerant. In our culture, uh, that is the worst label of all. So, so again, I see and understand why someone would want to hold on to, to these views. But, but if we want to listen to what God says in his word, there's a couple of places that I, I think help counter all of this. If you do accept the world's narrative, Paul says that, that you've been taken captive through the, these hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human tradition and basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. We began this series by talking about this passage, and it's an important one to revisit one final time before we close the book on this series. So again, um, I'll leave it to you to kind of figure out where those hollow philosophies are, but the Word of God says that in this world there are our philosophies and worldviews and perspectives that have the power to take us captive. So we should be on guard against those, all right? Uh, if you do accept the world's narrative, James has this to say, and this is, this is kind of tough. You know, James calls friendship uh, with the world enmity toward God. He says there in verse 4, if anyone chooses to be a friend of the world, he becomes an enemy of God. James compares uh, this kind of friendship with the world with an act of adultery against God. He's, this is the way I, I, I'm, I'm hearing him. He says, you know, you start off as, as kind of uh, friends with the world. You know? You just want to be friendly, you want everybody to like you, you want everybody to accept you. You start off as, as you know, friends with the world, but, but before you know it, you've ended up in this adulterous relationship in the sense that you've abandoned your walk with God to win the approval of this this friend who has actually become your new lover. I think that's what he's saying. And this sort of thing happens all the time. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it happens today, too. So, again, the Word of God says, hey, you need to guard against that. If we adopt that worldly point of view, then we're also guilty of violating what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, he says, by the renewing of your mind. Viola notes that, unfortunately, many Christians have sacrificed Jesus Christ on the altar of gaining favor with the world. Okay, so Jesus came full of truth. We admit that. He is the perfect embodiment of the truth. He never compromised the truth, and we shouldn't either. But we find this balance in Jesus that is so beautiful he didn't come just to bring truth, but he came full of truth and then also grace. In Jesus, we find a, a word of grace that reminds us that we're not simply talking about issues when we engage our culture. When we look at Jesus, he reminds us that when we have these kinds of discussions, we're always talking about flesh and blood people. Talking about women and men who are made in the image of God. What I love, just one of the most amazing things about Jesus is that he can balance these two things together. Truth and grace. We already mentioned the, the woman caught in adultery there in John chapter 8. We can return to her story here uh, for just a minute. So, so John, again, tells us the Pharisees and teachers of the law are just trying to use her uh, as a way of trapping Jesus. So it says that she's caught in the act of adultery and they bring her before Jesus. And so I may be wrong about this. Uh, if so, then I'll apologize to you in heaven, all right? But I think that because they caught her in the very act, that means she's wearing very little. And, and, and the Bible says that when she gets there, Jesus kind of looks down, and he starts 
they start scribbling on the, in, the, in the dirt, and everybody kind of wants to know, okay, what's, what's Jesus writing? You know, what, what is he writing there in the dirt, you know? And I have no idea. Nobody has any idea, all right? But I think at least one of the reasons he even does this is to avert his eyes from this woman who's standing there completely exposed as a way of, of not dishonoring her any, any more than she currently is. Jesus won't do anything to further diminish the image of God in another person. So he leans down in the dirt and he starts to write. And when Jesus makes the conditions of her punishment contingent upon the sinlessness of the accuser, that's when the crowd breaks up. When the crowd breaks up, they, they move on. You know, Jesus kind of spoils this perfect little plan for them to, to accuse him and catch him. And so then Jesus says to her, has no one condemned you? And when she replies, no one, sir, then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And in this, in this exchange, you find again that beautiful balance that we come to know as the good news about Jesus, the balance of truth and grace. Jesus doesn't lose sight of the fact that there's a person involved here the pharisees come they use her and they want to talk about the issue in this case the issue is adultery but jesus seems to be really concerned about this woman whose fate is hanging in the balance a woman who was caught in sin yes absolutely that's absolutely right but a woman who was also made in the image of god i like the way viola puts it here in his post he says generally speaking the posture of jesus toward the world is embodied in these words condone not condemn not i like that you could you could probably remember that this week couldn't you condone not condemn not he says that's the that's the attitude of jesus if you want to just kind of put handles around john 1 14 in a way we can remember it what does it mean for jesus to come full of grace and full of truth it's that he he doesn't condone sin neither does he condemn the person who is guilty he balances those two in a beautiful and wonderful way jesus doesn't accept her sinful lifestyle he doesn't sweep all of that under the rug as if it doesn't count if he did so he wouldn't be full of truth but at the same time he doesn't condemn her for her failings he doesn't pick up a rock and try to stone her even though he's the only one present who meets his own criteria for judgment instead he says i do not condemn you condemn not go and sin no more condone not jesus extends both grace and truth to this woman and our practice should be the same in the world today we have an important job, an important task before us, and it's tricky to try and tell the truth while embodying grace. We're, we're probably never quite on the 50-yard line there. Again, we probably always kind of err to one side or the other, but that's the goal. To, like Jesus, to balance truth and grace. To, to be compassionate without compromising. The world is wrong. Love is not the same thing as acceptance. And neither does disapproval imply hatred. Instead, following Jesus requires that we 
too, seek to balance grace and truth just as he did. Let's pray together as we wind down. Father in heaven, Lord God, thank you for this word from Christ. Thank you for Jesus himself, the embodiment of both grace and truth. Today, Lord, we commit this word to you and your purposes. May it not return to you empty, but may it accomplish today in our hearts that for which you have purposed it. Lord God, I pray that you would continue to expose the lies that we live with, the lies that surround us by the power of your word and your truth. God, today we pray for any who might be impacted by the word of Jesus, that perfect embodiment of both truth and grace. May your spirit move in a powerful way. He who has ears, let him hear. Thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, the invitation of Christ is extended to any who would need to respond. Let's stand together and let's sing.